hey beautiful people and welcome to world domination i'm your host monica ferguson and you are in the perfect place to level up here i cover all things personal development mindset healing spirituality and manifesting your most abundant and impactful life all done with a massive dose of real talk and an open book policy because who is time for superficial chit chat thank you for being here Thank you for choosing you, and thank you for showing up when it would be way easier to watch Netflix. Let's get into it. Oh, and don't forget to connect with me over on Instagram at the Monica Ferguson. Hey, hey, beautiful people! Monica Ferguson here, and welcome to this week's episode of World Domination, featuring my childhood neighbour, which is so exciting and fun for me, Tom Barragwanath who is originally from Macedon, New Zealand, and now lives in Paris. And his short fiction has been widely published. His novel, Paper Cage, won the Michael Gifkins Prize in 2021 and was published by Text Publishing in 2022. And currently he is the head of content for French edtech startup 360 Learning and currently working on his new novel. And so this episode is really about finding the courage to pursue the thing, to do the thing, to put yourself out there, to overcome the tall poppy thing and the negative voices of other people. So I know that you're going to find this really inspiring for everyone that's sitting there with this dream, this idea, who's just waiting to feel ready to move on it. This episode is for you. Enjoy. Yeah, you look good, Tom. Don't worry. Angelic. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Beaming out of the, out of the the beams of light. Yeah. That is right. So, um, (laughs) Oh my gosh, so much for us to to discuss. And I know it's very important for you that everyone who's listening understands that we did meet in a paddock. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Is that where we actually met? I can't remember our first time actually meeting. Yeah. Probably in your mum's kitchen or something. I'd say so. (laughs) But it gives the impression that most people in the Wairarapa do meet in paddocks, which is probably like not not far off the truth. But yeah, yeah, no, we we grew up um, like a a paddock away from each other. And then actually... After after you guys had moved out of the cookhouse, I lived in there in, in the cookhouse as a teenager for a while, which is like perfect teenage situation, you know. Yeah, a paddock between you and your family. That's the ideal situation, yeah. probably. Yeah. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one. Funny. Okay, so this is so crazy because yeah, I just love these little moments in life where you have kind of a a realization of wow, we've actually come so far. Like literally, I remember you in your Rathkeel uniform. Yeah, living across a paddock. And I think the last time, yeah, we were just saying, the last time I saw you was probably mm-hmm. 12 years ago or so. And now yeah, here we are so, yeah. on this podcast. You've just won an award for your book that you wrote. You live in France. Like life is so crazy. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. And it's and, and if you had asked me, um, you know, where would you see yourself like in your 30s or in your late 20s or whatever, this wouldn't have been anywhere near the, the sort of top of the list, right? <clears throat> Yeah. Um, so no, no, it is it is really crazy, and we like I sort of ended up in France on a little bit of a whim, really, because um, so my wife studied uh, French, um, and we we both studied law, and she studied French as well, and then she had the opportunity to come and do like an exchange with the the French equivalent of the the law society, and so between the New Zealand law society and the French law society, and um, yeah, and that's really that was the biggest impetus for us moving over here. I didn't really have have a plan at all beyond um, trying to do spend some time writing, so that's sort of how it all came about. That is so cool. Okay, so take me back to the start with your writing. How did that all come about? Is that something you were always interested in? 
Yeah, it's, it's something I, I mean, like a lot of writers would say that um, definitely have always been, been interested in the idea. Um, it was when I was a teenager, really, like a, the the curiosity went from, okay, I really love that, this book, I really love that book, to kind of trying to understand it, <clears throat> perhaps in the same way that like a car enthusiast would want to start picking apart engines, right? So you start to think about, well, how is this writer achieving this? Like what's happening in this chapter with this prose? Like what's going on? And um, yeah, that's when I sort of started getting more interested in actually trying to like to, to craft stories as well. And they're all really rubbish, like early, early, everyone's <laughs> early stories are always rubbish. Um, and then, yeah, so I studied, I, I went to uni and studied more serious stuff. Um, and then did some, like a paper in short fiction in my like mid twenties. And then when we moved to France, I sort of had like the opportunity to get a bit more serious about it. So I actually did, a master's in creative writing over here but yeah I've yeah. been publishing like short stories um in my like mid-20s and and um and feeling like pretty good about some of them but but looking back on them now you know they're there it's, it's a little bit cringe like some of the stuff that I got published which is you know I'm sure I'm sure a lot of writers feel like that yeah I think it comes with the creative territory uh, although have you had also <laughs> yeah, this, the flip side where you look back at stuff that you thought was rubbish and now you're like oh that was actually quite good a couple of times, yeah, that has happened. Like I sort of thought, well, if I were to try and do that story now, here's how I would do it. And actually, like, there's some kind of cool stuff in there. And yeah, but it's mostly, um, I, and I, I think this is the biggest thing that that you that you like you you realize as you mature in any sort of creative um, field, right? Is you you start to realize how your own stuff is coming across to the audience. Whereas I think when you're first starting out, like when I first started writing. I was just so obsessed with like the for following the story and having a good time writing it that I wasn't thinking that much about how the audience would engage with it. And I think yeah. that's sort of, um, that was the real turning point in, in how I understood writing, like my writing would work. Um, and working on this book, um, Paper Cage, like I really thought, okay, well, what's an international audience going to think about this? What's a Mastodon audience going to think about this? What's a, an Aotearoa audience going to think about this? So yeah, yeah, it, it sort of, um, I was considering, really, really considering how it would come across before I even got started with the story. So, yeah. Wow. Cool. Mm -mm. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay, so, okay, fast forward. The decision mm -hmm. to write a book when you're like, I'm all in, I'm just going to do it. Talk to me about that yeah, yeah. process, how that all unfolded. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, so I, I um, it's, it's like a lot of writers, you, you end up writing stories that match the amount of spare time you have. And so when I was in, <laughs> yeah. in, in New Zealand and working this like, you know, corporate consulting job, I had very little time. So I was writing these really short, like punchy, kind of exhausted stories in between like you know in between working days right and so then um, but I'd always thought man if I ever had the chance to try and write a novel it'll be so great it'll be so much fun it'll be so like immersive um and then yeah when when I got to France I did I, I went sort of really hardcore um with like setting a certain target for myself every day because I, I I was teaching English as well so I had something else going on but I had like mostly a lot of a lot of time to try and, and do this and um, yeah, so I, I did write like in the first, so we've been here five years now. And in the first three years, I wrote like four novels. Um, and so this is oh. the, the, like Paper Cage is actually the fourth attempt at writing a novel. So I've got these early, these other three novels that, that I might try and do something with. Um, yeah. And yeah, like it, it's, it's like once you, once you actually have the time to try and do this, it's, um, it's both inspiring and it's really terrifying because I don't have the excuse anymore of, oh, I, I can only do this between my other jobs, right? Because I'm committing to this thing, like, you know, full tilt. And it's, um, that's quite, quite, um, quite scary because, you know, I mean, like, I went from having a really sort of clear, like, career path in my, in my consulting career like, in, in Wellington, right? 
where you know this year you expect to get to this level and blah 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 it's really sort of mapped out for you like, no matter what what you want right and then to try and write a book and well in this case like four novels and try and get one of them published <laughs> like it might all go terribly wrong there's no map for it at all and um it could end up being what, what I was worried about is that it would end up being like really wasted time yeah. um, but maybe that, that's um that's not the right concept to think about it right because even if I tried all these books and nothing happened with any of them then that's still like I, I've answered that question for myself like I can I can you know this this is what I can achieve so yeah yeah it is interesting I mean there's a huge amount of um risk-taking effectively in anything mm, like this yeah. and that's why most people don't even try because it's so yeah, scary like it's quite nice knowing where your next paycheck is coming from and how you're gonna yeah, do yeah, this and, but it's so boring too and I feel like yeah, but yeah. there are certain kind of people I mean there are certain kind of people that love that to me I just mm, ugh, yeah. like no there was never going to be yeah, my yeah. path in life but it's yeah, just really yeah. interesting and this is stuff that I talk about so much um in my coaching practice and on this podcast too about mm. navigating fear because yeah. that's actually the difference between people that do the thing and write the book versus those who mm -hmm. just think about it, like how we actually yeah, yeah, face yeah. it. And this is what I'm so interested with you, like your process. Like, okay, so you mm -hmm. called yourself out on your BS, like no more excuses. I've got the time now. How did, mm -hmm. that, yeah. how did you get yourself across the line where you actually believed in yourself as well enough that, hey, I actually mm. have something worth saying? Because that's yeah, the yeah. other thing, I imposter syndrome. Like, who yeah, am yeah. I to write this or say this? Who cares what I have to say? Yeah. <laughs> well, the most helpful thing you can do, I think, as a novice writer, and maybe this applies to other, other crafts as well, is to read some really, like, rubbish books. So uh, there are some books out there <laughs> that are like, really, really popular and have been made into miniseries and blah, 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 and, I, and you read them and you say, this is just really, like, garbage. And, uh, and it <laughs> makes you realise, like, okay, like, the, it's not necessarily all about the level of your craft or like, you know, how well you can sort of craft a, a, a sentence, right? Because otherwise Dan Brown and JK Rowling and stuff, they, they would probably have, have, have a hard time getting published too, right? No, not, yeah. no knock against Harry, Harry Potter, but it's not exactly like thrilling prose, right? Um, but it's really like, I, I knew that I could tell a story, like the basic sort of raw materials of story, just like a character moving from point, point, a, to point, point a to point B. And I knew I could give a, give that a go with my like sort of inherent like love of language, and it's mostly that endurance as well. Like that that's really especially writing novels. Um, this is great quote, yeah. quote from the writer um, James Baldwin, which is essentially boils down to like I know a lot of talented wrecks, talented talented people often very very much don't get anywhere because they don't have endurance. It's mostly about endurance and luck. Um, and in the case of writing, you know, trying to write these novels, it really is a question of endurance because you bring yourself to the page every day and you think, okay, just like yesterday, just like the last hundred days, 200 days, like I'm going to write this quota of words. And then, you know, you, you, that's, it's just like piece by piece. Um, but it is, it, it does take a certain amount of self-belief, but I would say as well, um, it, you need to like qualified self-belief, like just self-belief isn't going to do it. You kind yeah. of need like that, <laughs> that dash of dash of realism in there because you can't like believe your way into getting a book published. You know, it's, it's got to be some attention to the technical aspects of the craft and the quality of the, the editing process and blah, blah, blah. So I don't know if that answers your question, but it's, it's quite a long, quite a long spiel. Yeah, no, it's a good spiel though. It's good. Cause you're right. Like that, the self-belief that I think is what gets people to pick up the pen or take the leap of yeah, faith. Yeah. But then the humility aspect like you say I've yep. been sitting there thinking oh it's not actually about what I think and what I want how are other people going mm -hmm. to receive this what are they going to think that's the key yep. um, that's exactly what I'm talking about exactly what I'm talking about yeah 
yeah yeah I love that it's a it's a delicate like little dance between yeah I mean you do have to have you know you have to have like yeah. you know what I'm saying I can't say what I actually think because this is on the radio but you know what I'm oh, saying oh sure 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 uh, kind of what I'm saying. <laughs> I was gonna say as well like, um, yeah 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 no it's it's like and, and I want to just acknowledge as well that um to make the decision that I've made to, to try and focus on writing for a while it is a real question of privilege right because I, I was privileged enough to have a job that paid pretty well before, right? So I could save up a bit of money and blah, blah, blah. But there's the thing, and, and, and I didn't have kids until now. Like I'm, I'm 36 now. I've got a one-year-old. This is a very like achievable time to, to be dealing with a baby, right? Um, for, for writers who are in their 20s or people who are trying to, trying to like follow these creative pursuits in their 20s, if they've got family obligations, you know, if money's tight or whatever, it's just impossible. Like it's, it's, or it's not impossible, but it's way, way harder. So I just want, just want to acknowledge that, like, yes. I don't want to sound like some guy giving, like, really blithe advice on, like, how, oh, you just have to go and do it, right? but, like, because not everyone has the life circumstances where they can, like, move move overseas, like, to a country, a different country, and spend yeah. some time just just writing, you know. So, yeah, yeah that's definitely yeah. part of it, too. I love that. So you're so nice. I'm not as nice. <laughs> but what I, will, what I will add to that, and I love that you brought this up because the other day, I saw this post online and it made me so wild. And it was this dude who's 28, single, and he was talking about how everyone has the same 24 hours in a day. And it's like, that's absolute crap. That's not true at all. Of course, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, but it's well, that it's, kind it's, of it's, attitude. It's this, yeah. It's the attitude yeah. of, um, you know, the level playing field, which is, you know, one of the oldest oldest like myths in the game, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. I, I mean, I find a lot of that um, kind of like, I don't know, that, that sort of, it's like but trying to it's trying to be inspirational right but it's actually like just it's it's a garbage message message to give people yeah um because yeah i mean it's it's factually true but it's also irrelevant like it doesn't really matter if, if any if like you can think of that as, as the same everyone's got access to the same amount of time but then as as you just said like everyone's got completely different responsibilities different like life circumstances so yeah 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 100%. yeah yeah just the sh- the shaming fact i mean that's a whole other podcast yeah, yeah, yeah. that i could rant about but um 100%. but what I, what i will say though is something okay yes you had you know privileged circumstances but at the same time mm. you took the circumstances you had and you made the most of them and that's that's the key yeah. that's really the takeaway like that will look different for everyone but i think totally, that's the yeah. key you know is like showing up for yourself however you can and being bold enough to move forward even when you don't necessarily <laughs> know the outcome because that's where yeah, so 100%. many people you know i always laugh because whenever i go to like parties or whatever and i meet new people everyone's always astounded at the things that i get out of people without even trying and it's just because everyone mm. has dreams but no one really talks about them often they just kind of accept their circumstances right I can't do sure, that sure. because of this but when you have someone that actually says but what would you do and then everyone has <laughs> yeah, these, yeah, yeah. E- everyone has an answer to that but so often we just that's don't it, it. admit it or allow ourselves to yeah, admit yeah. It. yeah well and I want to get into this a little bit like I wonder how much of that is due to our like national identity right because there is such a sort of ingrained thing within like the Kiwi culture and especially like coming from a place where we, where we come from like growing up in a, in, in a place like the Wairarapa yeah. like I'm going to say it it's not always so nourishing for people's like personal ambitions especially creative ones so really? people, people sort of get, well, people, get, get, yeah, yeah. people sort of get given this message that like oh like you know I'm, I'm not good enough for that you're not good enough for that like who 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 am I to try and like write a book to try and be a painter like blah 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 and so there's all this I think like frustrated creative energy in, in, in people that sort of 
people push to the to the sidelines and push to you know into into the periphery of their own lives and that really sucks because you know there there are a lot of people out there who might like just need a, a, a bit of a shot in the arm to say like hey you know like a lot of people paint a lot of people write a lot of people write poetry um and to be maybe a little bit more like nourishing and tolerant of those aspirations really and to feel a little more confident about it like honestly the, the, the national sort of psyche in new zealand is like i don't want to talk about too much about the tall poppy thing but it's very much alive and real right like you know even in the way that we talk about books that, that people from Aotearoa publish it's kind of like oh well no that's just a Kiwi book like it's just a, a local book like it's not good enough to stand up against the like, international publishers and stuff and I think it's, it's bullshit it's um yeah it's something that we I don't know where it comes from there are probably sociologists who've written big tomes on this but it's something to do with like the colonial mindset and being like the forgotten sort of sibling down at the ass end of the world and you know and then you, yeah. you come to you come like overseas um I'm not sure if I if I need to say that again with like more villain, vanilla language for your podcast <laughs> <laughs> but it's um it's something that when you when you spend time overseas and stuff it's really sort of um liberating and, and you really like nourish like you sorry you relish the anonymity of being overseas like it, it's like yeah you're sort of free of all of that uh, baggage a little bit yeah, yeah yeah and I remember having this exact chat I mean I have it everywhere but especially with my mum mm-hmm. who's been in the states for ages like 15 years and us yeah, talking yeah, yeah. about the differences you know like the American dream and if you're an entrepreneur and you have big goals everyone celebrates you but yeah, if, you, yeah, yeah. if you step up here everyone smacks you in the face and they're like who do you think That's you are it. And it's been totally. so it's been so interesting because this is what I do literally all day every day is talk people mm. out of their fear. Um, because that's what happens. The number one fear, right? People come, oh my gosh, I have this idea. I want to start this business. I want to do this thing. I want to start yeah, this yeah, cooking yeah. school. Oh my God, but what is everyone going to think of me? That's yeah, literally totally, the, totally. Fir- the, yeah. the first thought. And, and, and it's, not even, it's not even a fear of failure. It's not even a fear of like, what's everyone going to think if this doesn't work? It's the, the fear of, well, what, what are people going to think that I'm even trying this, that I'm like getting out of my box, you know? And um, yeah, it is kind of amazing. Like, you know, the, the fact that in, in New Zealand, like one of the biggest insults you can level at someone is that they're a tryhard, right? But this yeah. this concept of <laughs> insulting someone for being a tryhard in the States, like just wouldn't, they wouldn't even compute. Although I must say like, I, I, you know, from spending time in America as well, they could probably do with like a little dash of the New Zealand like cynicism, right? Like they, yeah. they do need a little bit of that. Turn it down, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Um, somewhere in the middle but no, no. somewhere in the middle I think so yeah 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 maybe maybe like on the spectrum of you know like the USA to, to New Zealand like you need to be a little more like Canada or something like that's probably probably about <laughs> about the, the, the right mix <laughs> yes yeah. okay so speaking of tall poppy I mean it'll be interesting for you because you've been out of this New Zealand negative you know raining on your parade attitude for quite yeah, a while yeah. but when it actually came time to publish your book what was that like that experience. Well, and I should say as well, like, I mean, my like community of friends and family and stuff in New Zealand obviously been incredibly supportive and so, like celebrating what what has happened with the book and stuff. I just wanted to want to say that. Um, but yeah, <laughs> no, actually, like getting the book published. I mean, this is this is where I need to really stop and like and thank. First of all, like text publishing, the, the company that's picked up my book, and then the the funnel of Michael Gifkins. So um, he was a big figure in the New Zealand literary scene. And um, his family have set up this grant for like new writers, which is the, the Gifkins Prize, which is the one that I that I won. Um, and like without those kinds of, I guess, like steps, like it, it's sort of like a stepping stone into the publishing world, right? Like without those kinds of opportunities, it would be way way harder for writers to to get started. 
Um, but yeah, no, so I mean, that, that's what happened. I, I, um, I finished this book, um, Paper Cage, as I said, it was the, my fourth time trying to write a novel. And um, yeah, finished it during the master's program I was doing in, in Paris and then sent it off. Well, actually, I asked a friend in New Zealand, Vicky, who was like incredibly uh, like handy and in a tight spot to print it and send it off so that I got it into this uh, into the competition on time. So yeah. thanks, Vicky. Um, but yeah, I, I sent it off and was was not thinking anything would happen with it. And then a few months later, I got a call um, to say that I'd been shortlisted. And um, yeah, and then then ended up winning it. So I mean, honestly, it's it an incredibly validating thing because, um, as I said, like I would have been really happy trying to write all these books and just knowing that okay like I'll, I'll do all these like thousands of words and if nothing happens with it then that's cool like at least i've tried and i understand now like what the process is and i can sort of be happy with that i've given it a go and i was totally ready for that kind of um that kind of outcome right because you know like behind every like for every author who publishes there's like 100 or 200 authors who don't make it for whatever reason right and so i was sort of thinking to myself well at least i'm i'm doing my bit to like to to run the stats and and get like you know all, there's all these great like published authors that i'm able to enjoy so yeah that, that's sort of how that all breaks out um but yeah then to to end up getting that call and to know that i was shortlisted and then end up winning it like it was it was really a moment of validation um and it sort of it was scary as well because um you know i do like the book that i wrote obviously but by the time i got that call about it i it had been maybe almost a year since i had been writing it and so it was almost like encountering a book that someone else has written and I, I don't know if this is the experience for a lot of like creative mm. people who are like you know you end up finishing something and then to re-encounter it like as people are reading it and as friends and stuff are reading it it's quite um it's quite scary and quite um, surreal because it's like oh yeah like what what did I do in that chapter like who is this character they're talking about you almost have to re-familiarize yourself with your own stuff interesting yeah. I suppose that yeah. in that time as well, you would have changed. Like you would have grown as a mm -hmm. person. So you probably had a different perspective. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and uh, like grown, and also the style that you are working on too, it, like changes and grows a lot too, right? And that's what I was talking about earlier when talking about like you know my first short stories being kind of cringeworthy. There's every chance that if I'm if I'm still publishing novels in like another twenty years, that I'll look back on this first book and be like, oh, you know. Like, yeah, that, that, that'll be cringy for me too. But, you know, that, that's how it all goes. Um, yeah. I remember, like, hearing that about a lot of the, the writers whose work I enjoy the most, like um, this guy, David Foster Wallace, his first novel I read recently. And it's really sort of, um, it has, like, a lot of the quirks of someone in the early 20s writing, trying, trying to, to sort of ape the style of other writers. And then he went on to be, like, a, a really profoundly amazing writer. So, you know, it's one of those things that, like even if you even if you get published at an early age, um, your style can change a lot. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I think that's yeah. cool though. Yeah. Evolution, eh? evolution. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, and I'm sure yeah. I'm sure you've experienced this in the same way. I mean, since you've been, I guess, working in, in like in the the coaching and the motivation game, if I if I may say so. Like, I'm sure your <laughs> approach to how you how you have these conversations, and yeah, I'm sure I'm sure your personal like approach to your craft has changed a lot too. It does. Yeah, it, it evolves for sure. For sure. And I think yeah. you get braver and you know yourself better and you get more courageous and more clear on your why. Um, yeah, yeah, and I think yeah. that's been a big part of it is, yeah, caring less about what other people think and doing more what I want. Because yeah. I know the yeah, person yeah, yeah, that, I, the people that listen, I know 
what they need to hear. And so mm-hmm. that's the tall poppy thing, right? Even now, yeah, yeah, that's I'm thinking, oh, those negative family members, what would they think? You know, if they did this, I'm like, who oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, cares, yeah. man? Like, who cares? But yeah, that's so different. Yeah, pops you can. You can just save it all up for the for the Christmas dinner table, and you know get it, get it all out at that point, right? That's the best idea. <laughs> Therapy, yeah, group coaching. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but so no, no, and, uh, yeah. Oh, you go ahead, sorry. No, no. So I was just going to ask you, um, what are your what's your big goal? Your and your what are you working on now? And what is your big hmm. goal? The big one that you struggle yeah, yeah. to admit out loud to people. <laughs> sure. I mean, I, it's funny because I don't, I don't struggle to admit it. Um, but my, the, like, the biggest goal that I have as a writer is just to keep producing stuff that I myself would enjoy reading. Oh, so, and, yeah. and I think like that, that's really the biggest thing. Um, you know, if these books, like, cause I've got, I've got um, a contract for another couple of books with the same um, publisher, which is, which is really wonderful. Wow. So they've sort of, um, yeah, which is, which is great. So I'm doing a follow up to Paper Cage, like an actual sequel, which I haven't begun writing yet, which um you know, I'm, I'm already excited about getting, getting cr- like cracking into. Um, so I've, I've got to do that next year. Um, I'm delivering a manuscript by the end of this year. So, you know, that, that's very much on my mind right now. Um, but no, seriously, as, as I think this is maybe, well, I hope this is always going to be my goal. It's just to enjoy the writing process and to write stuff that I myself as a reader would enjoy um, getting into. And then um, there's the other side of it as well. Like people, people talk about the, the like for any of this, for all the like, aspiring writers out there, there's yeah. the first draft process where you're like following the story and having a great time understanding like where you're going with the story and blah, blah, blah. And then like, that's about 20% of the, of the work. Like the, the rest of the 80% is reading your own draft, like getting from a second to a third draft, like understanding the mechanics of the story. It's, it's kind of like that, you know, that idea that I was saying, like the, the, the equivalent of like being a car enthusiast, like getting to the end of a first draft, it's like you've sketched a car right? And now you're actually going to go away and build the car. Like that's the rest of the work is the editing, the proofreading and all that like structural process. And um, that's the, one of the hardest parts about being a writer and, and the scariest. And maybe there's like, there's not a manual for, for that part of it. Right. So maybe there should be. Yeah. 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 Okay. Awesome. So final words of wisdom. I can't believe how fast this time went, but um, final words of wisdom for someone who's sitting at home with an idea too afraid to start. What would you say? <laughs> Yeah, I guess it's, it's intimidating the idea of me dispensing wisdom of any form but um yeah I, I would say um like as we talked about earlier you don't like I I managed to to create this situation where I could write full-time every day right but there you don't have to do that you sort of can shape your efforts to to the amount of time that you have the amount of spare energy that you have I mean I always like I'm gonna I'm gonna like respond in a really sneaky way and dispense <laughs> like wisdom from from Stephen King instead right because he, okay. he was writing essentially with like a kid on his lap in, a, in the back of like some crappy house where he was doing maintenance work in his 20s, like with a baby in one hand and a typewriter in the other hand, right? And he ended up making it work, like love his stuff or not. Like that guy is a very sort of um, successful <laughs> writer, right? So I guess it's about, yeah, shaping your efforts, the amount of time and energy that you have and knowing, um, yeah, knowing how to do that. And maybe as well, like knowing when you're most... Um, energetic about your craft like I know that I do my best writing in the morning in the afternoon I can read in the evenings I can't really do anything so mornings is like my only time so yeah, yeah I don't know it's, it's about finding the best the best um, circumstances in which you can be creative I think yeah thank you for listening I would love to hear your key takeaways and aha moments from this episode and I just want to remind you that you can do amazing things 
You're incredible. And if no one else today has told you they believe in you, I do. Only a certain kind of person listens to a podcast like this. The best one. Go get him.